Well, welcome along to the latest Forever Blue podcast. I really appreciate you listening to us and uh, and hopefully enjoying the Manchester City experience. Uh, I'm Ian Cheeseman and I've got three guests with me today as ever. Also, a big thank you to charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors and people who look after the whole property transaction business who are the supporters of this podcast. So without them, perhaps there wouldn't be a podcast. So a big shout out to them. charleslouis.co.uk is their website. They have, uh, of course, uh, experts on hand to advise you if you're commercial or just private, you want to sell, buy a property, need some advice, give them a call. Website's got the details on. They're based in the Manchester area, um, so I'm sure that they will help you as much as they possibly can and obviously tell them that uh, you are from the Blue Forever Blue podcast and that will make it even better. Now, my guest today, um, I have Harlan, who is one of the, the regulars that uh, you're very used to, and Amy who I'm glad to say is recovering from her bout of COVID. Um, so she's with us as well today. Uh, but our special guest is David Phillips, the former City midfielder, who, if we take you back to, um, well, one particular game that will always stand out in my mind was the 5-1 against Charlton. Uh, David scored in that, that game when City got promoted in front of, I think, about 60,000 fans at Main Road. But officially the crowd was, was about 50,000. And, uh, and Phil, uh, David Phillips was one of those sort of magnificent players from that era. Paul Simpson, you might remember. Uh, but a classy, classy midfielder who I had the great pleasure to watch. So, David, thanks very much for joining us. Um, I'm going to start by asking you really about the performances of late. I mean, I've had a uh, you know a busy week. Uh, been to Bruges and back uh, by car, so it was a long journey. Uh, just been down to Brighton and back by car, long journey. I'll be at West Ham this coming week. I put some uh, some miles in, uh, but enjoyed every minute of it because the football has been magnificent. How how would you judge what you've seen in the last uh, last week or so? Well, I have to admit, Ian, uh, you know, with what I've seen in the last two or three games especially. Uh, the first half performances out of the two have been absolutely sensational. And if you're there as a, a layman or as a neutral or as a Manchester City fan, you're just watching it and you're just thinking, this is unbelievable. The movement, the rotation, the way that everyone is able to hold possession. And to be honest with you, not being disrespectful to Bruges or Brighton, making good sides look rather daft. And uh, say the performances, especially the first half, as we saw with Brighton, in the second half, they came into it for about 15, 20 minutes. I just felt with Manchester City, they got a, a little bit tired at the time. But when you have the likes of De Bruyne on the bench, Mares on the bench to, to bring on, to, to replace other players. One thing that we've got to understand as well, Ian, is that the sports scientists, as far as I'm concerned, don't get enough gratification in these sort of games because they will be looking at players, they will be monitoring players, and they will be advising Pep, you know, I think we need to sort this out, do that. But the way that the sports scientists are in these days are doing absolutely, you know, fabulous, fabulous jobs because they're keeping these players really fit and healthy. And the rotation, as I said, with, you know, these superstars who are on the bench coming on, you know, speaks volumes for the, the squad that City have this year once again. But I thought against uh, Bruges, they were phenomenal. You know, the way that they move the ball. And yes, we can talk about Phil Foden. You know, he's come on leaps and bounds. I did say to you last year in the podcast that when David Silva left, this is the man to go and replace him. You know, he is, a, you know, an unbelievable guy, 21 years of age. And I tell you what, Ian, I don't know about yourself, but he has possessed another yard or so of pace this year. 
You know, his pace is phenomenal. But the one person I've been really impressed with so far over the last couple of games is Bernardo Silva. I think he's been excellent. You know, the way that he's got himself in and around the game, there was at one stage thinking about, you know, is he going to be a City player this year or not? Um, but you look at Brighton, for example, how many times did you hear Bernardo Silva's name when City scored? Virtually every every goal that they scored, he was involved somewhere. He was impressive yesterday. Phil Foden was impressive yesterday. There were lots of uh, players in that side yesterday who got a lot of credit um, but as it was for, for Bruges as well, you know? The thing that I look at, um, obviously, when you watch a match like that, there is a tendency to think who is the best player. And whilst Foden and Bernardo Silva, you, you're quite right to single out. The thing that really impresses me about the games is that it's it's all about the whole 11. They're all switched on in exactly the same way. And they seem to play on the front foot. It sounds very simple. But when they get the ball, nobody gets the ball, controls it, and then takes a breath and looks around. The second they get it, they immediately start accelerating or looking for that first pass. And then when the next player gets it, they immediately are looking for the next. It's all about quickness of thought and being on the front foot. And it never gives the other team a chance to relax, does it? No, absolutely right. I'm saying you, you go back to the time when uh, Guardiola was at Barcelona and you know that when players had the ball, they had three, four options all the time. But you have to say that the players themselves, when they have the ball coming into them possession, they're already looking for the next pass. They're already looking for the pass beyond that first pass. And that is what is so good about City, the way that they're able to shift the ball. And at times, yes, they have to go back. But, you know, that's not being negative. I'm saying when you have a goalkeeper like Edison who can knock the ball 60, 70 yards, you know, and, you know, eliminate the, the front three or the midfield three, Again, you know, that is a tactic which Guardiola will use. And you saw at times there with, with Brighton yesterday, they decided to go and put a high press. They started to get a little bit of joy out of the situation. And then the ball comes back to the keeper and then he goes and eliminates them. Bring on the, the substitutes. And then all of a sudden, the, the game management has been absolutely spot on. You know, and, and Guardiola, for all the years he's been doing it, he knows the job in and out, you know, so brilliant. I heard a few City fans immediately after the game. I do a match day vlog, which which people can watch, but sometimes I talk to fans away from the camera as well. And Brighton fans and City fans were both suggesting that this team was better than the team that won the league last year and that it was actually possibly the best Premier League team there's ever been. Now, I know people get giddy and emotional, but I am beginning to think that the collective nature of this, not the individuals, you know, we've all lauded Aguero and company and David Silva quite rightly, but the collective nature of this might make it the best team ever. What do you think, David? Yeah, I, I could possibly agree with that. You know, the loss of Aguero for me was, you know, a big loss. But having said that, you know, when you don't really have an out-and-out -out number nine playing, you saw that with Virgil Jesus yesterday. You know, he starts the game, he plays out on the right-hand side of the three. Phil Foden goes through the middle, Grealish to the left. You know, with the uh, with Diaz, you know, who was a player of the year last year, you know, he had a phenomenal season last year. And when you look at the, the side in itself, you have got players to play in every position, two or threefold. You know, you've got Bru Bru De Bruyne, who can play through the middle. He could go and play centre-half if he wants to, or right back. Look at the two goals that were scored against Bruges by Cancelo and uh, Walker. They were phenomenal. And you look at where their movement started. They started from their own half, you know, and the, the running and the movement was exceptional. But you've got other players 
in, not in the side at the moment who will be thinking, well, it's going to be difficult to get back in. But as you know, with Guardiola, he'll give you a chance of getting yourself back in. Laporte at one stage, they were thinking, well, is he going to be good enough, etc. You know, he's come back in, he's taken the opportunity because John Stones is not available. He's coming in and taking it really well. Nathan Aki, when he's come in and done well. So there you've got four centre-halves to start, up, start off with. Fernandinho as well, he can play centre-half. You know, De Bruyne could play centre-half. Kyle Walker play, can play centre-half. Cancelo, if he wanted to, not only playing as a right-back, left-back, you see him, he plays in a, in a midfield role as well. And then he gets himself into advanced positions. The sign of Jack Grealish this year, we're thinking, well, you know, over £100 million for Jack Grealish. Is it going to be worth it? I think he settled in very well, but I still think there are things there he can improve on. But let's be honest with you, it's a great side. It is a great side. You think Pep's taking a different approach this season in the sense that um, we know that he loves to rotate, and I'm sure he will do. And in, in midweek against West Ham, it might be a different eleven that he, that he picks because it's a different competition, of course. But in principle, or it, most of the time now this season, he seems to have tried to stick to the eleven, and he seems to have had the attitude. For example, in defence, if Laporte's playing well, even though Stones is fully fit. Laporte keeps his place. Ruben Diaz keeps his place. Uh, he didn't do that before. He, he, he seems now to have, to me anyway, to have changed his mentality of when you're in that team, if you're delivering, you keep in that team. Do you think that, or am I just, you know, imagining that? Or do you no, listen, listen, at the end of the day, I, I, I totally agree with you. You know, if I, if I was playing in the uh, in the City side now and all of a sudden Pep turned around and said, well, look, you know, David, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to rest you this weekend, you know, uh, I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be happy because all of a sudden, if somebody came in, took my place and scored two or three goals, and then all of a sudden I'm thinking my, my place is in jeopardy. But I think with, with Pep and his mentality this year is that if you're good enough and you're playing well enough and you're not making mistakes, why do you have to be left out? I know at times there is a rotation process. As I said, sports scientists will sometimes dictate as well and, and help uh, Guardiola exactly what is going on. But you have a solid back unit. You have Walker, you have Diaz, you have Laporte, you have Cancelo. You know, what better back four is there in the league than that? There isn't, as far as I'm concerned. And then when you go further up, you know, you look at the midfield. Is there a better midfield in the league? I don't think so. You could argue, Liverpool fans might argue the fact that their three might be better than City's three. But I'll tell you, what, I'll go with City's three anytime, anytime. You know, J Jack Grealish for me, he's still... A young lad, he's learning. There was, there, I think, there was talk about Pep having a word with him about his uh, his dietary and his, you know, the social life, etc. But we knew that when he was at Aston Villa, you know, the issues that happened with with him surrounding certain scenarios. Um, he's got to understand, not being disrespectful to Aston Villa, he's in one of the biggest clubs in the world now, and he's got to go and toe the line. What did you make of it all, Amy? I mean, you were sitting there watching that yesterday. I mean. You, you must have been like I was, you know, blown away the first half. I got to half time and I thought, I don't even know what to say about that first half. It was just sort of so perfect. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's like it's like watching fantasy football. What, what did you make of it? Um, I just think uh, we, you know, David said about how we're playing more collectively. Um, I've noticed we seem to be a lot stronger together as well. Like as though the lads are, are really connecting. Um, obviously, we've got a lot more English players in in our side now, so I don't know whether that's got out to do with the fact that they play in each of the lads are playing in their own internationals, so they're together when they're in their international teams as well. 
Um, but yeah, it was it was just really, really good. I mean, um, I had to watch the match on match of the day. And so I listened to it on the radio. Um, but yeah, it, I, just from hearing um, what Alistair Mann was saying, you know, he was so enthusiastic as soon as the, the whistle went. Um, yeah, we just I just think that we're playing really, really well at the moment. And I've noticed that out of, you know, we, out of every other team, we seem to have the one who have the biggest connections with each other and we, we play like we want to be together. Um, but yeah, it was a really, really good match. My wife, when I got home or this morning, because obviously I got home very late from, from Brighton, said to me uh, and texted me actually during the game, he said it was a game of two halves. And I said, well, they'd won the game by half time. You know, it, it, it was maybe a different second half performance. But when they got the ball and there were sort of moments where you could tell collectively, they all went at exactly the same time. They did all the closing down. They did all the chasing. They they made space for each other. They swarm the penalty area when they're in that attacking mode, which is, you know, there's people say to me, you know, they still need a striker. I had a, a debate with a, with a fan after the game. I still need a striker. I said, what? They scored five at, at Bruges. They scored four at Brighton. Why do they need a striker? I mean, it's so unpredictable. What City are going to do? I mean, what, what you know, what, what do you say about that? Well, yeah. I'll tell you now, Ian, sorry, Amy, to cut across you, but okay. if you, I, I totally agree with you there, Ian. You know, at the end of the day, Spain won the World Cup in 2010 using a false nine. I know Torres was around, um, but let's, let's be honest with you, that David Villa, Villa was around as well. You know, when you look at their results this year without actually going through it, I think they've scored four or more goals half a dozen times against good sides as well. You know, and you've got to look upon that thinking, well, do you really need a number nine? You know, my wife, who's a, a big Spurs fan, was absolutely delighted that Harry Kane didn't go to, to Man City this year. But I'll be, you know, to be honest with you, I wonder whether or not Harry Kane would actually fit in there, you know, with the actual movement that they've got. I know that they could be a little bit more direct at times. Um, but when you have good movement and you have good midfield players getting into good areas, you've got fullbacks, you know, assisting with goals and, and scoring goals as well. It's very hard to play against because when you play against a number nine, you know who you're playing against. The centre-halves know who they're playing against. How many times did you see uh, Phil Foden yesterday go back and receive the ball off the, uh, the two centre-halves? You know, he didn't do it so much in the second half. But the rotation all over the place was absolutely phenomenal. You know, Bernardo Silva sometimes going as, a, as the number nine, you know. And when you're playing against these sort of players and you have that rotation, you're looking around, your peripheral vision, you, you, you like the proverbial like hen, looking around all over the place thinking, what on earth's happening here? Who's going there? And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's phenomenal to watch, but to play against must be an absolute nightmare. I agree. Now, Harlan's been sitting here listening to all this and he's a big student of, of football. I'm sure you've been fascinated by the conversation so far, Harlan. So I'm going to uh, unleash you now. What have you got to say about it all? Just don't worry anymore, Ian. Just don't worry anymore. Um, so relaxed. Um, felt like before COVID, I was very... I'd built up like this kind of real conscious anxious and, and and that had come from being a child and, and I've started to COVID was one of those things that, that was a massive bugbear on us all a real bad time and because we were prevented from going to matches and we had to keep all this pent up energy and excitement inside and I felt like I, I kept saying to you on the pod I felt full up with 
energy. I'd watch a match on TV. I'd 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 I'd, I'd turn it off afterwards. We'd we'd have tea and the night would feel normal. You'd forget we'd just played. Um, and I'd still feel like I'd not got it all out of my system. I'd still feel like I'd not shouted and and screamed and chanted and and had a real good time. Um, and I've gone back to the games and just being back was was absolutely unbelievable to then watch the football that we'd seen during lockdown in front of us again and realise how good we actually are in front of our own eyes is phenomenal to see how this team has grown through COVID and yet it was all deemed to have been a negative and the fact that players were going to be affected, maybe players were going to slack off. We've got better. I agree with you. I agree with David. I agree with Amy. We have got better. We've got a thicker skin. The players don't seem to perform worse after criticism in the media now. Uh, used to see a bit of a correlation between where the players were underperforming when they were being uh, criticised in the media. Almost seems to spur them on. I just look at the way we play football now. And years ago for me, I'd, I'd kind of see us 3-0 up and, and think there's still a chance here that the opposition could... It's just on the counter, then it's one. Uh, then they could score from a set piece, it's 3-2, and then 3-all maybe. Even though I'm a massive optimist, we went two up yesterday and, and against a very good Brighton team. I mean, I'm a massive, massive Graham Potter advocate. I mean, he'd be my next England manager. I absolutely love him as a manager. Brilliant manager, brilliant team, Brighton. Shouldn't be fighting where they are every season. And like David said eloquently before, to go to Brighton after losing 3-2 last year and learning from our mistakes of going 2-0 up and then losing 3-2, we went there with good mindset, positive mindset, hit the ground running, got two up, got three up, went in at half-time, and I can imagine Pep saying, more of the same, come out, Brighton were always going to have a period in that game where they had more possession for a five or ten minute period, tried to create a few bits and pieces because they're a good side. But like you and David said, we are, I mean, even David said at the start, we go to places now where we are expected to have a hard time and almost footballingly disrespect the opponent. But you can't not do because you are that good. You're not going to go there and underperform on purpose to not offend the the people on Sky or the people on BT or United Liverpool, the cartel. You know, you don't like the fact that we are as good as we are. But what are we supposed to do to not? To, to, are we are we supposed to underperform then? No, I tell you what, do it even more, be even better, be even stronger, rub the noses in it. We are City. We are amazing. We play unbelievable football. We've got the best coach in the world. He's doing what he did at Barca 10 years ago at City now. And as you saw when he was at Barca, Ian, that team that won the Champions League in 2013 grew from the team that won the league when he first arrived as Barca A manager. And that was because he kept a team together. He kept a squad together. He kept players happy. He'd also got rid of players that maybe weren't as happy. He'd got rid of players that were out of contract. And he replaced them with other players that maybe weren't as good, but that he felt would fit in with the chemistry of the side going forward. And he won the Champions League final in 2013 against United at Wembley 
which for me was one of the most amazing Champions League finals you'll ever see. And that's because he knows what he wants. He knows how to build a football team. And I agree that statistically and, um, you know, uh, like you said before, fancy Premier League style and, and, and all these things that our younger generation are now going to grow up thinking that footballers are all about. Um, oh, he didn't score, he didn't assist, oh, he must have had a bad game. That kind of thing, that, that you know, that's the direction that football's going unless people like ourselves hand it down to the, to the next generation and to the kids below us. That players can, can be unbelievable without having the numbers to necessarily back it up. Bernardo Silva's not your fantasy Premier League player. Bernardo Silva's a proper, proper, proper football player. David's played the game. He knows not every player on a football pitch is going to score week in, week out. Not every player is going to get an assist. What about pre-assists? What about helping the assister assist the goal? You know, what about the amount of times David Silver over the years built up play, you know, made one pass that unlocked something that allowed someone then to play Aguero in? Um, and, you know, you know when you, all the points you're making are, are really good, and I'll add this one to it as well. You know, when you, when, when you look at a defender, and, and we all tend to glorify strikers and goal scorers. I mean, even in the in the introduction to David, you know, I'm, I'm remembering the great goal, a great goal he scored from long range and stuff, and that's what stands out in your mind. But I'm watching yesterday, behind the goal, so you, I don't particularly like being behind the goal as a spectator, but you do see a different, spect, uh, you know, a different perspective. And in the half where City's defenders are at my end of the ground, I'm watching Ruben Diaz. Now, Ruben Diaz is an excellent defender. You know, everybody knows that. But I'm actually thinking the bits that you notice as a fan instinctively, and certainly when you watch highlights, is the sort of interception or the tackle that denies a goal or the goal line clearance or, you know, something that really stands out like that. But I notice little moments, which is such, and, and, and as an ex-footballer, David, you will appreciate more this much more than we do as fans, perhaps. But I'm seeing little toe pokes by uh, Ruben Diaz, which, which just enough to take the ball away, but thought out even when he's stretching for the ball to just make sure the toe poke gets to another City player. And then that next player does what he needs to do to get it out of the trouble zone. And you think that was such an unsung bit of what just happened. But yeah, I think that's just as important as the things that catch the eye, the spectacular goals. It, it's that, it's that, little details that make the difference, isn't it, David? Yeah, absolutely right. And, uh, you know, when, when you go down to, as I call it, worm level uh, and see a football match, it's totally different to when you're sitting high up in the stands or you're watching on the TV. Totally different game. And you will see different things actually at worm level where you thought, well, actually, as you're right to say, I didn't realise that happened. I didn't see that happen. But the good thing is, is like, as you're alluding to, Ian, is that sometimes when a player is in trouble you're looking for somebody else to try and help you out. And that is what happens at City. You know, as you say, a little toe poke. It's not, it's not a toe poke going anywhere. It's a toe poke because you know that Walker is coming back down the line to go and receive that ball. But as he's coming down to receive that, line, uh, that ball down the line, from the line, Edison is moving out to the right-hand side just in case Walker needs his assist. So straight away, you've got two or three different players moving because of a situation where... Diaz has had to toe poke it. And that's what happens. You'll see that happen. Walk will come back. Edison will move to the right. Laporte will just come in behind him. 
because obviously his balance won't be right. You know, his strength won't be there for recovery as, as quickly as what he's like to be. And that is how it generates good football. But that all stems from the coaching staff week in, week out, week in, week out over the course of a period of years. Of, you know, and that's what Guardiola has done. He's, he's done it phenomenally. Um, you know, the squad he has is, is an unbelievable squad. You know, people talk to me about like Rodri, for example. You know, some people don't like him. And I think, why? You know, he does what Busquets did at Barcelona. You know, he was six, he's six foot three. He would break up play. He would get the ball from the midfield. He would go and cover when Walker goes forward. He would go and cover when Cancelo goes forward. You know, he will go and drop into the third centre-half when he needs to go and do it. That's exactly what Sergio Busquets did at Barcelona. And that is what Pep has instilled into him and developed his style. You know, yes, he started at Villarreal. And I saw him when he was a young kid, went to Atletico. And, and now he's at City doing a phenomenal job. We know Fernandino, what a great player he is. What is he, 36 now, something along those lines? You know, still a valuable member of the squad. He might not play or he might not start as often as what he, he would like to, but he's there to assist Rodri. He's, he's given Rodri all that experience and telling him how to go and play that game. But it is a different game, as you'd like to say. It's great scoring his 35-yard goals, etc., which... I happen now and again for me, um, but the build-up play is what you got to look at. You got to look at where the source is. You know, you look at uh, Foden's goal, for example. It was a corner to Brighton, and then all of a sudden the ball came out to Bernardo Silva. One little ball, and then next thing we're thinking, hold on a second, got a, got an opportunity here, and that stems from all of a sudden going from a situation where you're defending your own 18-yard box to within about seven eight seconds the ball being in the opposition's back of the net. And that tells me there is a willingness in transition from these guys thinking, all right, OK, we're 2-0 up at this moment in time. Do we need to go and get a third? I'll tell you what, Pebble will be turning around and saying, if we've got to get a third, yeah, we'll get a fourth. If we get a fourth, we get a fifth. And that is the mentality. But seeing them on that transition, on that counter-attack, and you see Foden, the way that you can see his expression on his face, thinking, I've got to get myself in behind that uh, full-back centre-half. And I know Jack is going to put that on a plate. And you have to say that Jack Grealish is going at full tilt here. And to put it on a plate, you know, with the right way to pass, with direction of the pass, yes, the, the centre-half was close proximity to Foden. And it was a case of an own goal. Was it Foden's goal? I went straight away. It was Foden's goal. But look at that, you know, the way that they're able to go into transition. But the, the movement from Grealish, the final pass of Grealish, the weight of the pass was just exceptional. I'm unusual when I go to football. I'm still in the away end. Uh, obviously, everybody stands up in the away end. I'm still in the away end. And I'm sure that people that look at me think, yeah, he's not showing very much emotion here. And everybody else jumps up and down and singing all the time. And I'm, I'm one of the quiet ones. Um, but I'm really studying the game. Uh, what, what sort of spectator are you, Amy? I mean, you, we're, we're talking here very tactically about all these little nuances about football. You may be exactly the same as me. Um, but And there's no right way, by the way, to watch football. Everybody's entitled to watch football however they want. Some can sit there with a you know, a glass of Chardonnay and, uh, and a salmon butty and all, everything. Other people can have a, a, a pie and a pint. And some people might enjoy the singing more than actually going into all this tactical analysis like, like uh, we're doing at the moment. What sort of a fan are you, Amy? Uh, I'm quite aggressive. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the lads that sit next to me, they're always like this. Um, no, I um, I get angry sometimes. 
I do sing. Um, I'm more of a pie pie and diet coke girl. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, do, I do get angry. Get very, um, it's a good job I sit where I sit, I think, because I think I'd be like kicked out. I Does do remember get the better of you sometimes. Yeah, I do I do remember once it was quite funny and I always remember it because it just makes me laugh. Um there was a game, it was Nalito was playing, and um I think there was a foul on him, and he got up and I absentmindedly just went, knock him out or headbutt him or something, and he actually did <laughs> and got sent off. Now how he heard me from where I sit, I don't know, but and I went. That was not my fault. I did not send him like subliminal messages. That's how he spoke good English then, Amy, didn't he? Well, yeah. Like, how he heard me from where I sit, I don't (laughs) know, but he did headbutt this guy and got sent off. But yeah, I can be quite aggressive when I want to be. I'm like a little, like, um, what's it? Little dog thing, like just, you know, little pit bull or something. Just, I'm dead Mike and Mealed and then like, get it stuck in then <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that isn't that it though Amy isn't that what I was talking about before the fact that you couldn't let that emotion out during lockdown the fact that just just I don't know like it's quite um it's quite an emotional moment that first that first came back like me yeah. and Jess back there together as a couple you know like mm. we, we was like Alan and I Jess as Ian calls us and just walking <laughs> back in the turnstile felt special getting back yeah, in definitely. sitting in your seat and like I said on the on the first podcast back, you know, after uh, after the Tottenham game, we, we were hugging stewards. We were, we were saying hello to the people five rows behind us that we don't <laughs> normally speak to at a match, but just recognised yeah. us. And, there's a, there's a, like... there's a steward that's in my block and he, he lives near us. So I see him quite a lot. And I saw him in lockdown going, getting his jab. And I was like, hi, are you Okay, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah," and I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I've seen you!" Like, some kind of weirdo. So he plays for City. It was like some sort of fan thing. It was just daft, but I think he appreciated it anyway. <laughs> but we can show that emotion in the ground. I mean, that's our. That's our. That's. I mean, some people drink, some people don't, some people do other things that we won't. We won't um, <laughs> advertise on the pod. Um, some people are interested in football one bit. Some people go climbing at the weekend. Some people go on holiday six, seven, eight times a year. Um, football is my drug. That's 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 my that's my obsession. Um, it's like anything though, Harlan, isn't it? Like you know, if, if you're talking about like taking sweets from a baby, the baby's not going to be very happy. You know, you give the sweets back to the baby, and the baby's happy. And during lockdown, and I can appreciate every, everything that's gone on during lockdown, and you know, not having this and not having that. It's just like a baby. As soon as that comes back to you, it makes you appreciate the things that you used to have got taken away from you and they come back. You know, like you're saying, you know, hugging stewards and speaking to the guy, you know, five rope, you know, appreciating the guys who, who were doing like, you know, um, refilling all the shelves in supermarkets. And, you know, the, some people that you, you think you'd never bother with, you know what I mean? Um, but the respect that you actually give to other people, I know COVID has not been a great thing, but it actually brought a different side to me as well. It made me respect some people that I wasn't overly keen on, um, but it's changed me dramatically. But I'm with you guys, you know, at the end of the day, I, I do work for a, a broadcasting company and I do get to, to, to games now and again. And, you know, when I was doing it where there were no crowds in, you know, going to Newcastle, for example, um, where there was basically, you know, the, the commentators, the staff, uh, a couple hundred like stewards and all that lot, 
it, it, it was like it was it was like a it was like a graveyard. Not being disrespectful, but as soon as you get those fans back in there, the atmosphere is unbelievable. But even when they were bringing one thousand, two thousand, five thousand fans back, what a difference it made! You know, a huge difference. And I'm so glad that we are now coming out of this COVID state. I hope it stays this way. I don't want to go back into lockdown. You know, there is so many people with mental health issues, etc. You know, I don't want to go back there and. Let's fingers crossed that we uh, we're okay. When you were a player, David, I mean, you said you it's it's affected you and you've changed a little bit. How much did you appreciate? And this isn't a personal question. I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm just saying, as a player, how much did you appreciate the sort of uh, the, the type of stories that you hear from fans? Did you just block that out, and were you just a player who focused purely on football? Did you realise how much? you know, attending football, being a supporter, meant to the people who were on the terraces? I'll tell you, the, the first thing that I really remember, Ian, is that when I, uh, when I signed for City and I, I moved into to Wilmslow, onto the Summerfields estate, you know, I didn't realise, you know, the intensity between us and the fans from the other side of the city. And, and I used to have issues uh, with my house. I used to have snags, etc. And I used to go into the office and said, look, you know, this needs sorting out, that needs sorting out. And she said, the lady said, I'm sorry, but they won't come into your house. I said, what do you mean they won't come into my house? It's well, all the fans are Man United fans. And I was like, so that was the first time that I realised about fans, you know, um, you know, being so fervent as they were. But I ended up going speaking to them and I said, well, look, listen, at the end of the day, you know, I am, I am a customer. I'm, I'm no different to you. If you want to have a, you know, a, a glass of wine down the the pub or whatever it is, I'll come and have a glass of you. I'm not any different to you. Just because I play football means, you know, yes, I might have a little bit more limelight, but I'm no different. You're doing a job. I'm doing a job. So, you know, is there any chance you can come into my house and do it? Didn't do it. <laughs> so, uh, but it, it is like, you know, when you, when you talk to fans and, and, and whatever, my, one of my local clubs is, is Coventry City because that's the closest one to where I live at the moment. Um, and you listen to fans and going back into the into the grounds, etc., and appreciating the things that they didn't have, you know, it was unbelievable. But back in the day when I was at City, um, you know, it, it was great. I absolutely loved my time there. Um, I had some phenomenal times. Uh, the one thing I always remember, my next door neighbour was a, a bit of a, a City fan, and um, we we struck up a, a real good relationship. Um, I don't think my wife at the time was, was particularly happy, but he was actually base captain of Monarch Airlines. And uh, sometimes my wife would go back down to Cornwall and Ken would turn around to me after a home game. He said, what are you doing tonight? And I've gone, well, not a lot. He said, well, you fancy flying to Ibiza or Mallorca? I've gone, yeah, OK. So he said, well, just bring your passport. So uh, we used to go off to, to Manchester Airport get in his car and then go through passport control, get on the plane. I'd sit in the cockpit, he'd fly the plane, I'd have a few beers and be talking about the game today. And that was, I know that was a little bit more, you know, because he was a, a neighbour and all that lot, but they used to do it. I, I must've been abroad, I don't know, eight, nine times with him, just flying away and, you know, meeting meeting the, the co-captain, the stewardesses, some of them were city, city fans and all that lot. And it was a different way of life, but um, good times those were, Ian. They were different than this era as well. I mean, you can't imagine modern footballers who, um, you know, are in a bubble because of their vast richness and are overprotected. Mm. They wouldn't do that, would they? Is that, is that a shame to you? Or do you think that they still do that? Well, we just don't see it anymore. 
I, I think you would see it anyway, just because of the, the, the way social media works nowadays. You know, you, you can't walk out your own house without getting packed. You know, um, it wasn't so bad back in our days. And yes, we could get away with quite a lot of things. Uh, as I said, you know, th there's absolutely no way, for example, you know, Bernardo's or Phil Foden jumping into an aircraft and flying off to, um, to Mallorca for like, you know, two hours and 20 minutes down there, having a few beers, glasses of wine, then flying back exactly the same. Um, that wouldn't happen at all. Um, so social media side, obviously back to the day when I was playing to now, um, it's like you can't do anything nowadays. You're always going to get found out. There's always going to be somebody there with a camera um, and they're always going to find you out. So back in my days, I actually quite liked the fact that we could do a lot of things without actually getting you know, sorted out. But if it was a serious nature, then obviously things would get found out, especially at City. Big clubs, they always have people a lot around, you know, stewards, they'll be looking out for you. You know, sometimes, you know, you, you go in, but it might they always say, well, you, you're in that nightclub in the, in Oldley Edge. And it's like, OK, fine. You know, but then I was with uh, Steve Kinsey, Andy May, Graham Baker, you know, you know, very, very sensible lads. Um, so there were no issues unless you unless you got, got in touch with uh, Alex Higgins, of course. So uh, the snooker player. So we kept away from him. Are you telling me Andy May was sensible? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We, 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 we were part of the magic circle, is what um, Billy McNeil used to call us. So uh, it'd be, be our little group and the respective wives. And uh, we'd have some good times. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Um, just coming back to the football a little bit, one thing you said before, Harlan, which uh, made me think was, you know, we, we talked about how City, uh, you know, feel as if they're better now this season, potentially, than they were last. And yet, of course, they won the league, got to the Champions League final, won the League Cup, FA Cup semi-final. Can't get much better than that. But one thing that we talked about in the podcast was that when the games were being played behind closed doors, certainly my experience because I attended one or two, not, not a lot, is that it felt like I was watching a training session. Do you think that actually having that season last year, not, none of us wanted it. I know you didn't want it, Harlan, I certainly didn't. But do you think that that ended up being a little bit of a sort of extended, a season-long training session in which City are now reaping the benefits this year? Probably, yeah. And do you know what, Ian? To, to win the league by the points tally we did from the position we were in before we signed Ruben Diaz after Leicester to to win the league training wouldn't that say it all do you know what I mean to win the league training what are you going to be like when you're playing football again do you know what I mean like we 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 at times last year were winning games two and three nil I remember we beat Palace four nil Sterling scored that that brilliant free kick and there was times in that game where we should have already been 4-0 up. Like, should have been 4-0 up and we'd created nine chances. So we should have scored half the chances that we created already. Probably should have beat Palace 6 or 7-0. If we'd have played that game this season, obviously things are different now. Vieira's the manager. It's not Hodgson. They've changed the, the style, their system a tiny bit. But what I'm trying to say is if we put this level of intensity this level of understanding and cohesion and chemistry into that performance at 3-0, we go on and win it 7. And it's just that extra bit now, the fans are helping, the atmosphere is helping. But like you're saying, are you kind of saying that it was like a, an intermediate year where it was allowed, the players were almost able to become perfect again? Um, Pep was able to experiment, not too much, but knowing that 
we weren't really expected at one stage, by the way, when we signed Ruben Diaz to actually win the league. A lot of City fans had written us off after the Leicester defeat. So Pep almost maybe subliminally felt that and thought, bring Ruben in, bed him in, help him grow this season, hope that things start to click, rotate these players, rotate them players, like David said before, listen to the sports scientists, maybe work on reducing the amount of fatigue that players are feeling, make sure that by the time next season comes around, everybody's fit. I don't even think Pep ex expected, wanted, I don't think he expected to get to the Champions League final. Don't really think he expected to win the League Cup again because he knew that it was a team, that we were a team that was struggling a bit for form and cohesively. Um, to win what we won last year and get to a Champions League final off the back of a start that wasn't very good and to have grown into a team now that I believe has got the potential to be better than the 17-18 Centurions team. Um, even if we don't win all the trophies, just the team is just much better to watch, even than that, which was, for me, the most perfect team I've ever seen. And I remember watching Arsenal in 2003-04, which, for me, growing up as a kid, was outstanding. We're going places, and him staying was huge in that. I said to, to somebody the other day, in fact, you might have even been on the pod and they've just heard me say it, but you know, enjoy this because we don't know how long it's going to last. And the, the fan challenged me and said, um, what do you mean? Why, why will this not last? I mean, even if Pep goes at some point, the infrastructure's there now and City are just going to carry on on a roll like this. But knowing football as I do, or thinking I know football as I do, you, you always expect that, that nothing will stay the same, that things will change. Do you see this going on forever, Amy? You're a you know, a, a proper, you know, down-to-earth City fan. Did you look at uh, City now just being untouchable for years and years to come? Or do you, uh, or do you, like I'm trying to do, appreciate every game, every moment, every success and think, this could all come crashing down tomorrow. You know, Newcastle have just got new owners and things, things change all the time. Do, do you believe it'll carry on, like, forever? You'd hope that, but it's like every team, isn't it? when you get a new manager or whatever, it's a new broom sweeps clean. And um, obviously, like, we noticed when Pep came in, some players he didn't get on with, some players have left. Um, obviously, they'll base it on, like, how old they were and stuff, but it, it's not always, not always the case. And obviously, like... Um, Crystal Palace will probably like start getting better because you've got Vieira in in charge. Um, and Newcastle, they're bound to start um, getting better players in because of the money. I don't know. You know, it happened with us, didn't it? Who'd have thought we'd sign like the likes of Aguero? And, you know. Um, so yeah, it's going to be one of them, isn't it? I, I they say Pep can't stay forever. You hope he will, but he can't. Um, so I call jobs. You need to retire one day. Um, so yeah, I, you know you do. You would hope that um, new manager will, if we did get one, would come in and do the same thing. But every manager's different. It's like you know, like us. We're all we're all different, and we think differently, and we see things differently. Um, Mancini did what he did. 
Pellegrini came in and all right, yes, some things did stay the same, but a lot of things didn't. And then when Pep come in, a completely different ball game. So, and these are three brilliant managers. So, yeah, it, like I say, it just depends who you get in after Pep because, you know, we've had the best now and God knows who we'd get next. Well, I mentioned yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting, Ian, isn't it? You know, um, we've all seen in the media just recently about how the uh, the last ten years have, have turned, how the city has turned from red to blue over the last ten years. You know, City going to Old Trafford, winning six one. You know, and that's where it's all started. Um, since then, you know, how many trophies has City won compared to to, to Man United? You know, we, we, we're talking a, a several amount. You know, the tide has turned dramatically. Yes, United have still had a lot of money, but I don't think they've spent it wisely. Whereas I think with City, with a manager that has Amy saying with Mancini coming in, Pellegrini coming in, and now Guardiola, they have slowly brought in players to fit the system. But then you need somebody to work out how to do that jigsaw. And Guardiola has done that. You talk about size now, the way that they've uh, they, they, they plummeted. Look at what's happened with Barcelona, you know, with, with Lionel Messi going, the financial issues that they've had there, you know, the um, the, the, the chairman of such Laporte, you know, it, they've gone absolutely downhill big time. You know, Koeman's in there, he's having major issues, you know, looking to try and get players in, they can't do it. You know, they're going to places like Cadiz and, and not getting results, uh, which is unheard of. You know, is it down to the fact that, you know, just one player has left, which is Lionel Messi? You know, you can say that, well, you know, Aguero was a, a phenomenal player. I don't think he's quite in the same shoes as Lionel, but you see the way things have happened at Barcelona and they're thinking that they will struggle to get in the top six this year, um, just purely on, on that. But if they haven't got the financial fair play sorted out, then, you know, they could have major issues, which they are doing at this moment in time. You know, hopefully that doesn't happen with City. I think they go from strength to strength. Who's going to come out after what Guardia? You know, like with Barcelona, he wanted a new challenge. You know, I don't think Pep will go anywhere until he's happy and won the Champions League. You know, that for me is what he'll be looking to do. You know, uh, and then who comes in after that? I don't know. There's still going to be the financial uh, situation regarding City. It's still going to be there. You're still going to entertain quality players as you've done over the last 10 years. Newcastle, yeah, they've got 320 billion, you know, in their coffers as such, but they can only spend a certain amount. And and to be honest with you, not being disrespectful, if I've got a choice of going to Newcastle or Manchester City, there's only one place I'm going. Ian, just to add to just to add to David's point there, and, and basically piggyback what Amy had said because I thought it was a really good point. Um, Newcastle, now, now, now this this Newcastle thing now is is one of those things. It's either going to be one or two ways with with us. I mean, as a fan base. You can either be allies with us, like we thought PSG were, or you can see us, you can see us as rivals and go with the United Liverpool contingent. Um, saw a few reports about a couple of Newcastle fans at services yesterday. We're richer than you. Uh, we've got more money than you. That kind of thing. Don't get ahead of yourselves. It can easily go wrong. We've seen so many teams become richer overnight to have investment to seem like they've got a blueprint and it all unravel. You know what I mean? Mismanagement, poor ownership. I think these look brilliant, don't get me wrong. The new owner looks fantastic. Uh, Amanda Stavely looks like a sound investor. She looks like somebody that's got a real portfolio of success. 
But at the end of the day, one mistake, one transfer mistake that, that unsettles uh, FFP or something like that under the, 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 the tarpaulin could end up unravelling everything. So you've only just become, um, you know, a club that's been invested in. You, you, you know, you've not, you've not done anything yet. And you can either take our blueprint, which you're not going to get because that is like literally wrapped up in cotton wool. You can go down the United route of which, which basically rebuffs anything that anyone throws at us and spend just as much money, if not more, and win nothing for, for a decade, um, apart from a Europa League, which is a nothing trophy if anyone else wins it, but if they win it, it's massive. Um, but you have also got the Chelsea model, where Abramovich has always had money, he's always spent money, but they've only won titles in spits. They've not had a, a period of domination like we have. So it's one of them where it's not that you spend the money, it's how. And like David and Amy both said in their own ways then, it was about how Mancini signed Yaya, he signed Aguero, um, you know, he signed David Silva, he signed Joe Hart and more. And Zaba was obviously Mark Hughes, but was more Mancini's player. That then transitioned into Pellegrini, who knew who was solid, who knew who was you know, the future and added to it and manifested them players into his system, his style with his additions and created a team that went on to win another title and a league cup. Pep came in, knew we had star quality, but knew that the star quality that we had in other areas wasn't going to be able to play the style of football that he wanted us to play. So he added more wonderful ingredients to the mix, keeping players like Yaya, Sergio, David Silva, um, you know, Vincent Company, of course, as well. And built around, that's fine. Fernandinho was Pellegrini, still in the squad now. Has been in the squad for uh, the whole of Guardiola's reign. Pivotal player in the squad as well. And the fact that all that has been built over a period of time, are Newcastle really going to be able to do exactly what we have done to get to the heights we've got to? You don't spend money and get what we've got. That's been 10 years of building difficult decisions about who to let go and who to keep, who works, who doesn't. Three different managers, three slightly different philosophies with Guardiola's being the most different to Pellegrini and, uh, and Mancini. But we've managed to keep a nucleus there. And that is why over the years we have been as successful as we have because we've kept a nucleus and brought in extra quality to surround that and build a cohesive football team. So it isn't just going to come by spending a billion pounds on top quality football players. It's not ultimate team on FIFA. No, absolutely right. I'm saying when you when you look at Newcastle United, Newcastle United always turn around and say, you know, they are a big team. They might have a good fan base. They are the only uh, club in the city, but they haven't won anything since 1955. You know, are we turning around a club that I play for Coventry City saying, well, actually, we're a bigger club than them because we won a trophy back in 87. You know, yes, we didn't have the financial backing, but we're talking about Newcastle United. As you're right, say, Harlan, it, it might take them years and years and years to actually get it sorted out. They can't all of a sudden just get rid of a squad of 2030. Yeah, they want to keep Alan San Maximan. They want to keep, um, you know, uh, Callum Wilton, who I coached as a 14, 15 year old. You know, it will take a phenomenal amount of money and the financial fair play will not allow them to do that. So I wouldn't be worried about Newcastle United. The only thing I'll be concerned about is where do we go with City? You know, we're talking about, um, you know, the Champions League. We want to win the Champions League. 
you know, difficult times against uh, Paris Saint-Germain. You know, you look at the squad that they have there. You know, I was looking at their game last week uh, against uh, Alvarez after the um, the international break, and there was no Neymar playing. You know, but they had Julian Draxler playing. You know, with Mbappe and, and, and Messi. You know, they are a phenomenal side, and uh, you know, is it one of those that we need to be better than them? You know, we know that uh, they came, and you know, it was a great result for them. But you know, for me, the only people I would fear in Europe at this moment in time would be Paris Saint Germain and Bayern Munich. I wouldn't fear Barcelona. I wouldn't fear Real Madrid. I wouldn't fear any of them. You know, and for me, if we end up going beating those two, we'll win the Champions League. Let's let's finish this podcast by looking ahead to the future a little bit. Uh, it's difficult to do it given that we're recording this before the West Ham game in midweek. So the question could relate to the West Ham League Cup tie or more generally. We've seen good players coming through like uh, Cole Palmer, Sam Adolzi, uh, there's there's Romeo Lavia, the the centre back. You know, there's there's a, there's several young players now who are very excited. We saw what United did with their. Uh, uh, class of 92 and, and them coming through as a collective. Is that the future, David? Do you see City as, as now um, being full of, um, you know, Phil Foden's and Cole Palmer's and whatnot, or are they still going to have to supplement that, um, you know, in the future? I think they're going to have to supplement it in the future. Um, it's always very difficult because when you look at percentages about players, first and foremost about becoming a professional footballer, is very, very minimal. Um, and when you go to a, a big club like City, your opportunities are always going to be very difficult to actually get in towards the first team squad, etc. But Guardiola has always been one of those that if a player is good enough, it doesn't matter how old they are. And, you know, seeing Cole Palmer coming in, scoring that great goal, you know, against Bruges the other night, you, you could see that he has maturity beyond his age. Um, yes, when you look at the right angle, you think, OK, Mignolet, yeah, that's going to go to his right-hand side. But the way that he slotted it, he was cool, calm, collected. And what I liked about it, Ian, was that all the players came in, all the senior players came in, put their arms around him, tapped him on the head and was like, you know, hey, well done, son, well done. You know, and that's what I liked. There is a, a community spirit in that squad. And it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're Cole Palmer at like 18 years of age or if you're one of the, the senior pros, they all mix in together. But... Yes, you want the likes of Phil Foden coming through, which he has done. You know, he's, he's had to wait his time. I said to you last year, he will be the next David Silva. You know, he is a phenomenal talent. And it's a talent like that, in that we can't allow to leave City. You know, we don't want him to leave City at any given time. Hopefully he'll be there for 14, 15 years and continue what he's been doing over the last few years. You know, phenomenal. And I hope that Cole Palmer, you know, has more opportunities. I think he might start against uh, West Ham. As you're right to say, it will be a totally different side. Um, like I said, you know, there was no Ferran Torres on. Um, I'm not sure about his injury status or whatever. He wasn't, you know, there on Saturday. There for a Zip, while yet, David. You know, Zip, Zivchenko. But I'm saying these are players who, you know, uh, not in the squad at this moment in time or not playing at the moment in time. You know, it's, it's an unbelievable squad mixed in with two or three youngsters as well um, and we'll get stronger. You'll be looking forward to that game on Wednesday, Amy, won't you, with, with some of these young players because us fans, us normal down-to-earth fans, we relate to the homegrown players more than anybody really, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Like Phil and Cole have done amazingly well, really, really well. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, like eventually 
the older players will go um, and you have to replace them with the younger players. But yeah, you, you're going to have to obviously look around, <clears throat> excuse me, for um, older people to, to, to pass the baton on, so to speak. Um, but we have, you know, we have got a lot of young lads still left. Um, Not even mentioned, yeah, that's what I mean. And uh, you know, they're obviously doing well on the on the loan spells and stuff. So, and uh, Tommy Doyle and that. Um, Called the other night for Hamburg. Yeah, it'd be nice if you know eventually they all come back and and uh, are part of the main squad. It would be nice to see. Um, it's nice that we're actually using academy players because it's not always been the case. Um, they've, you know, they've done well at the academy and then someone else has bought them up. Um, so it, it's a, it's nice really that we're actually finally using our, I mean, um, when I was at the game the other week uh, where we had a lot of the young lads in from the academy, they did really, really well. Um, obviously when it's like, cup games and stuff and you get moved around the ground um, it's nice to see a different perspective because obviously where I sit is you know right in the gods um, so when I get moved for cup games it's nice to be able to see different angles and stuff and uh, like you said before about um, different perspectives of like little little game, little bits of the game that you wouldn't always see in your normal seat Um so yeah, you just you just uh, get to see how these young lads are doing, and it, it's really good. It, it shows how well our academy is. It's it's um, it's, a, it's a good you know because obviously a lot of the other teams um, have mentioned. I know I think it was um, Vardy said about our academy. I think he's um, used it before as well for for some charity thing that he did. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of our a lot of other teams are quite jealous of our academy, really. And you'll get to see them close up on Wednesday, uh, Harlan. Are you going to go down to West Ham? And it'll be a very different team, and it'll be, um, it'll be. I, I'd be surprised, frankly, even if there was eleven changes, if City don't win at West Ham. That's the sort of mood I'm in at the moment. Yeah, um, excited for it. Um, the first time I've been to the Olympic Stadium, of course. Um, excited for that one. Jesse's first away game as well this season, so. Looking forward to that for personal reasons as well. But yeah, from, from a footballing perspective, Ian, just really, really excited to, to see more of these players. Like you said, Tommy scored 2-1 win for Hamburg the other night against Paderborn. Um, just a picture of that as well, just looking at the still image of Tommy celebrating with the Hamburg fans, a real passionate roar to the fans. And you've got like 27, 28, 31-year-old Hamburg players behind him. Um like kind of praising him like you'd see our players praise De Bruyne. And I just looked at the picture and thought, they don't see him as a kid. They see him as an equal. They see him as a football player playing at Hamburg, a professional football player. He's not gone to Hamburg and been seen as our oh, city loanee that's come in. You know, like years ago when we had like, no disrespect, great players, but Vladimir Weiss went to Bolton. Danny Sturridge went to Bolton on loan from Chelsea. And they were seen as like loan players and, when, when, when our youngsters go somewhere, they are seen as top quality loan players that have come in that are part of a squad. You've got Taylor Howard Bellis, who's smashing it for Vincent Company at, at Anderlecht. He's, I don't think he's been out of the team for weeks, getting a consistent run of games. There's a reason why he went to Anderlecht and he stayed with someone that we know because there are plans to keep Taylor at City. I mean, no doubt about that. 
you know, if we'd have sent him to Breda or we'd have sent him to Yokohama or we'd have sent him to, to, to Melbourne or somewhere like that, he'd have probably come back and gone somewhere else. The fact he's gone to Anderlecht to be kind of matured and, and nurtured by Vincent Company at centre-half isn't an accident. Um, obviously, they're players that are out on loan, so they're not going to play on, on Wednesday night, but uh, Lavia, massive player. Um, I'd like to see um, Esbrand as well play again. Brilliant fullback, very, very good. Um, there's other players as well. There's your, there's your, your, your Cole Palmer's, of course, who's proving it now at the, at the first team level, at first team level even. Um, and there's so many more to come. There's so many more Exciting. to come. We're starting to get to a level now where Pep knows how to integrate the younger players. I think that was always the problem. It wasn't that the players maybe weren't good enough. It was how do I implement and how do I integrate them into such a successful side? And now he's dripping them in and he's giving them games and he's giving them minutes. He's starting to see that the quality actually isn't that that different, that these players at the top level of our academy are actually good enough to really start to, to get to grips with the way we play as a team. And the future's bright, Ian. And you know what? There's amazing young players in this country. The England under-21s team, although not very successful, has got some wonderful talent in from United, Liverpool, us, Chelsea and the like. But... It's, it's just it's how you nurture them. And teams wonder sometimes why their younger players drop off. And it's because they're not given the time that Guardiola's given Ford and Delap, uh, Cole Palmer, and given them that, that real you know, natural progression rather than a forced one that eventually has a detriment on them. Yeah, I, I think, Harley, I totally agree with you. You know, uh, you know there's got to be a time and a place when to do it. And I think Pep is really good at doing it. You know, I, I thought on yesterday against Brighton, there would have been an opportunity for, for Cole to come on. But because all of a sudden Brighton started having 20 minute spell of doing really, really well, I didn't think that was the right time to bring him on. You know, and I think with, with Pep, he understands that. He knows what he's done in Barcelona, bringing up some of the young kids in there and integrating them. He knows how to do that. You know, and he will, as I turn around to say in somebody, don't be a captain of a rowing boat. Be a captain of a ship. Guardiola is a captain of a ship. And he looks after the whole of his squad. He looks after the whole of Manchester City. Not just his favourites, but the whole of Manchester City. And that is why he is highly respected throughout uh, his team and his squad. What a great way to end the podcast. Um... Very, very positive. Lots to look forward to. Can't wait to go to West Ham. Um, obviously, if you're listening to this after the West Ham game, um, then apologise for the fact that we sort of looked ahead to a game. But, um, yeah, great. Great to have David. David Phillips as our special guest today. Harlan and Amy, thanks to charleslewy.co.uk, the Chartered Mortgage Advisors and so much more. Anything to do with buying, selling or getting the loan that you need to buy a property, give them a call or have a look at the website, charleslewy.co.uk. But uh, what a week. Um, two fantastic results, lots of goals, uh, pinch me time. And as Harlan and David have so eloquently said, everything to look forward to in the future as well. Um, the, the future is blue, um, but as always, it's great to be a blue. See you next time.